They talk like that in primary schools. Oh, this come all of a sudden. No, they talk sort of high, don't they, the children do, the young children, and said, Mr. Stevenson, I want to play an Easter song today. And I thought, oh, that's really good, because there's a piece of music in her book, uh, Hot Cross Buns. And I thought, maybe it's a bit tricky for her, but she'll be able to do it, because I'm always keen that people will try something, even if it's a bit tricky. So she thumbed through the book, went straight past Hot Cross Buns, and what she came up with... Spring chicken. <laughs> and I thought, what's that got to do with Easter? That morning, I was having my lunch about 11 o'clock, because I have to eat it early sometimes, and I was watching This Morning. <laughs> and they were doing a craft item for Easter. And what they were doing, they were doing some lovely Easter cards with bunny rabbits on the front. And then they did something else with eggs. And I thought, what's this got to do with Easter? In fact, we know it's got nothing to do with Easter. Because Easter is about transformation. And transformation, we don't really see that when we're talking about chickens or eggs or bunny rabbits. But we know that the real story of Easter tells us about transformation. Now, do you remember this person? Because we're not talking about that type of transformation when David Banner, and he was a scientist, and he was really good, and he was great in the 1970s, and I've got some DVDs, and we still watch them now and again. But when he got angry, what happened to him? He was transformed, using the word I've just mentioned, but how did he get transformed? Into the Incredible Hulk. Can anyone give me an Incredible Hulk face? Jill, Jill is just so good with her face. Can anyone do better than Jill? Okay, thank you, Jill, for doing your best. That was awesome. So, we're thinking about transformation, but of course it's nothing to do with that sort of transformation where you get angry and you grow bushy eyebrows and become green and your trousers rip in sort of serious places and things. But Easter is the greatest event in history. And why we're here is to celebrate the surprise of Easter. And what I want us to do this morning is to be thinking about the surprises of Easter. How was Easter a surprise to people when they first sort of experienced it? Because we're very fortunate, aren't we? We have the Bible. We've read it, most of us all the way through, and we understand bits of it, don't we? But... We're at the advantage because we know what's happened. Whereas when the disciples were around and other people at the time, they perhaps didn't really know what was coming. Even though Jesus talked about it and there was lots of other things that had happened that they just thought, wow, who is this Jesus that he says things like this and does things like that? So what we want to think about is, were they expecting a resurrection? Of course, we all know resurrections had happened already in the Old Testament and this is all listed on the website so you can just look at it when you want to but on the uh, Old Testament Elijah and Elisha and of course Jesus 
uh, made people come alive. I remember one time I was at the Warwick Art Centre, perhaps you were there as well, it's the early 90s, and there was this group from America there, and they were doing a musical presentation of the life of Jesus. And Jesus was there, sort of uh, in his sort of uh, gown, for what we want to call it, and he had this uh, young girl in his arms, and she was kind of limp. And then one of these stories, it was probably Jairus' daughter or something like that, but they made it into a musical way where she was limp. And then all of a sudden, she came alive. And it wasn't just like the people on the stage that were very excited about it. We in the audience, we knew what it was all about. We knew that someone who died had now come alive. And there was the odd whoop from the uh, audience. And it was really exciting to be there. Maybe you were there as well, like I say. After Jesus, in the New Testament, there was Peter and uh, Paul that again brought people back to life. One was in a long sermon. Paul, how's your praying today? Okay, that's all right. We're not going to be too long because the children are coming back at 22. So we know that's the time we'll be finishing. But we know that people could rise from the dead. But what were the disciples thinking? Were they thinking, oh, Jesus has said this kind of thing, we understand it, we know it's going to happen, or were they really surprised? I think they were really surprised about it. And perhaps the greatest surprise for us today is that we know God loved us that much that he sent his son to come and die for us. Because a lot of people don't really make a lot about sins. They just sort of say, yeah, sin. It's all right, as long as you don't hurt anybody, as long as you sort of don't sort of force your opinions on other people, it's going to be all right, isn't it? Maybe some people think of sins like this, that the worst people, like Hitler and Pol Pot and other people that we don't want to think about, so I haven't put their names on, and then there's murderers and paedophiles and burglars, fraudsters, adulterers, blasphemers, drunks, liars, hypocrites, the greedy, the proud... And then we're at the top, aren't we? We're, we're pretty good. We're not as bad as people might think, are we, really? We're, we're all right, really, aren't we? We're right at the top. We're sort of not so bad. It might make us feel comfort, but that's a false idea. We might feel that we're not so bad, that why did Jesus come? There's, we're all right, really. There's no point, really, for Jesus to do that. This is perhaps how sin is. This is perhaps how God sees sin. Instead of us being at the top and being, oh yeah, we're all right, we're okay. We're right in the thick of it, aren't we? We're right there between all the other things that we think we're not really part of, but really we are. This is the way perhaps God sees sin. And perhaps we know that the consequence of sin is death. That is just what's going to happen. That is what goes on. Some of you are, better, are familiar with the term synoptic gospels. And it's just the uh, three gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke. And the thing I like about them is just like synoptic means seeing all things together, they sort of do give us the same sort of stories and the same sort of teaching, sometimes some different perspectives, but often it's the same kind of thing. Whereas the book of John is quite different. And what we're going to look at 
today is a little bit from the book of John because John has various things. I've written 29 different things that John records that synoptic gospels don't record. And of course, like we say, the synoptics, Matthew, Mark and Luke, have things in their gospels that John don't have either. By the way, there's things called the harmony of the Gospels, which I've listed on the uh, outline. If you want to have a look at Jesus' life from all the different books, then I've put one uh, link on that you can have a look if you want to. But what what we're going to do is have a look at John 20, verses 19 to 29, and I'm going to read it to you. You can find it as well if you want to, of course. So it's John chapter 20, verses 19 to 29. And it talks about one of my favourite characters from the Bible. And it's a person that often people sort of say, oh, about, well, as I think, hooray, about Thomas. Because Thomas was a twin, just like me, so we share something a bit sort of good, although no one's called me Didymus for a long time. So, <laughs> so that's all right. But people sort of think, doubting Thomas, they sort of call him that, whereas I think, inquisitive Thomas, questioning Thomas. They're all good words, and I just sort of use a different phrase because I think he's a good man in the Bible. And maybe some people kind of just put their finger down and sort of say, oh, he's not so good. Here's the uh, gospel then. So John 20, verse 19 and following. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jewish leaders... Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now, straight away, that makes me shocked in a way, because that was a normal kind of Hebrew greeting, where they'd say, shalom, peace be with you. Hi, everything's all right. But do you remember a few days before what all the disciples were doing? I don't know Jesus. I might have a Galilean accent, but oh, no, it's not me. And some of them ran away in the Garden of Gethsemane. What would we be like if our friends, our mates, our close colleagues came to us and they're in a time of need and we said, oh no. Would we welcome them back? Would we peace to you? Great, have a lovely day. I know for me, I'd be sort of, I'd be looking at them and saying, you know what he did? Why didn't you look after me? But Jesus didn't like that, of course. So he says, peace be with you. After this, he said, after after he had said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now, different versions have different words. Have you got a different word in your version? Overjoyed, mine says. So, glad. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds all right, doesn't it? But overjoyed, I love that. Anyone else got a different word apart from glad and overjoyed? Filled with joy. Oh, that's lovely. Anyone else? Say it in Korean if you like. We won't understand it, but you can say it if you want to. So overjoyed, glad, filled with joy. These are all brilliant words. And wouldn't we be the same if we'd have sort of seen Jesus die on the cross? Because he really died on the cross. And we saw him buried in the tomb. And then suddenly, even though the doors were locked... He came and stood among them. I'd be ecstatic, I think. I don't think there's a word that would describe it. Perhaps you're the same. You're just saying, whoa, Jesus is alive. He's here. He's with us. 
Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So even then, he was still teaching them and getting them to think about what the cross was about. He's one of my favorite characters. Verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, the twin, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Now, I'm, I was looking at a few versions of this, and things like the Holman Christian Standard Bible and the Amplified don't just say, um, we have seen the Lord. They don't say, so the other disciples told him, like, once. What they say is, the disciples kept telling him they'd seen the Lord. And again, I was putting myself in their sandals, because I don't think they had shoes then. But I was putting myself in their sandals, and I was thinking, yes, I'd be saying to Thomas and to anyone else I saw, yes, we've seen Jesus rise from the dead. We've seen Jesus with us, talking to us, giving us teaching, giving us love, helping us, changing us. I wonder what Thomas thought about that. He had a whole week before Jesus came among them again. So every day the disciples would have been saying, oh, you know, Jesus came a couple of days ago. The next day, oh, Jesus came three days ago. I wonder what is going to be coming. What's he going to be saying? What's happening? How joyful would they have been? And Thomas would have been thinking, I wasn't there. Why did I go down to wherever he was? Because we don't know why he wasn't there. But maybe he was just a bit disgruntled, thinking, hmm, I wish I'd have been there. wonder if he's going to come again. wonder if we're going to see him again. I'm not going to believe he's alive. Surely he's not alive. Surely they're just making it up. I'm only going to believe it if I can see his hands and his feet and his side. Perhaps when we think it's a week until Jesus did come again, then when you hear Thomas say that, perhaps it's a little bit more understandable that all these other disciples were overwhelmed with joy and thinking how marvellous and brilliant and wonderful it is that Thomas missed it. But of course, we don't miss things with God. Jesus sorted it out. Jesus came again that week later. And what does he say? Unless I see, this is Thomas again, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said again, Shalom, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, now I think this is really interesting because I look at Greek words sometimes and read about it. And Jesus is really literally saying, Bring your finger over here. And I think that's brilliant. It doesn't say in a sort of highfalutin, serious tone, condemning Thomas for not believing. It just says, come on, Thomas. You didn't see me a week ago, but I'm here now. Bring your finger over here. Of course, Thomas doesn't need to put his finger, like he said he was going to do, in his side, on his hands and his feet. What does he say? My Lord and my God. Thomas knew 
that Jesus had risen from the dead. Jesus had made a difference. And we know people say that Thomas died in India. And that's where he died. And that's where he was taking the message of Jesus. Something exciting happened. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's all of us. Isn't that brilliant? That 2,000 years ago, Jesus was encouraging us and blessing us because he knew that it was a brilliant thing for us to believe even though he hadn't, we hadn't seen him in the flesh. That's fantastic. And remember, in John as well, again, brilliant, sort of different from the synoptics, we have in John 17 where he prays for all believers. So, in a way... We've been really prayed for for 2,000 years by Jesus. Wow, that's a surprise. That's a brilliant thing, isn't it? Because Jesus loves us. Jesus is praying for us, just as we pray for each other. But for 2,000 years. But God shows and clearly proves his own love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ The Messiah, the anointed one, died for us. Romans 5, verse 8. I was sort of like listening to new songs. And one song I heard this week is by sort of an Irish chap and three Americans. And it's called My Victory. And the link's on the website, on the sort of uh, talk outline. So if you want to listen to it, you can do. But the line that really gets me from that song is... The cross meant to kill is my victory. I bet the Jewish leaders were surprised. The Romans were surprised. Pilate was surprised. They thought putting Jesus on the cross was the end of Jesus. What a surprise for them. As well as what a surprise for us. That Jesus rose from the dead. The cross meant to kill is my victory. Now, all of you look very learned. I bet all of you have heard of Jürgen Moltmann. Just give me a sort of a a wink or a nod if you've heard of him. Paul's heard of him. Paul, he's over there. Jürgen Moltmann. Now, let me tell you who Jürgen Moltmann was. Because at the moment, he's 89 years old and he's a German theologian. All right. Now, he's really important because when he was in the Second World War, he became a prisoner of war. And the last camp he was in, he was a prisoner of war from 1945 to 1947. The last camp he was in was near Nottingham. And then in 1947, he went to a conference called the Student Christian Movement Conference. You're just thinking, oh, what's he on about now? But guess where this conference was? Swanwick. Most of us have been to Swanwick, just north of Derbyshire, just to the left on the map of Nottingham. A lot of us have been to Swanwick, and like we've had a good time there. This Jürgen Moltmann... He went there in 1947, and God really touched him. God changed him. God did something with him. So 
that's a brilliant thing that we go to Swanwick and it's so near us. But theologians of note from different countries have been there and they've been touched by God too. And I think that's fantastic. That's brilliant. Anyway, this is what Jürgen Moltmann said. It's not the church of God that has a mission. Dot, 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 dot. So you know something else is coming. The punchline. It's not the church of God that has a mission, but the missionary God who has a church. And I think, wow, that's exactly what Christianity is about. God is a missionary God. And it just so happens we're part of his missionary endeavours. John 3, 16 and 17, Holman's Christian Study Bible. A lot of us will know this. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son, send, go in missionary into the world that he might condemn the world but that the world might be saved through him. So let's just think about that again. We were looking at this earlier. We were thinking, yeah, this is perhaps how God sees sins. It's not. But perhaps it's not even like that. Because if you look at it carefully, this is just a bit like a plaster going over the sins. Some of them are blocked out, but some of them you can see. But Jesus isn't a plaster over our sins. Jesus didn't partially do the work and then something's got to be done in the future. Jesus has sorted the pain of death, sin, out once and for all. This is what Jesus has done to sin. Jesus has sorted it out. Jesus has come to set us free from things that we're not happy about. For while we were still helpless, at the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will anyone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in the order of service, you'll see this picture. And that was just the title above what Jesus was. So this is an acronym just for Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. But it's something that we'll often see. 1 Timothy says it in a different way. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everybody. All the Koreans love Korean, but I don't understand a word of it. It's all kind of, what's that say? What's that word? It's a bit the same like with Greek as well. But I've got a smattering of knowledge about that. But this is a brilliant word. Don't you agree? There's a big definition underneath, but it's this word about redemption, where we can think of ourselves as being at a slave market, and Jesus buys us out completely, sorts it out. The problem is gone. So, uh, exaguazo, uh, I buy away from, ransom, sorted out, and like it says at the bottom, it's out and out, it's fully, it's sorted out. We can smile. We could give a holy hurrah if we wanted to. Yeah. Hurrah. hurrah! Thank you, Lord, for sorting us out, for sorting out our redemption, to making us boldly, uh, boldly change. 
Well, I think it's ex agorazzo. Anyone else want to give me an idea? Yeah. Because it's an E, then the funny thing is like an X kind of idea, and then the A, and then the gamma for the G. It's agarazzo. That's, that's how it goes. Oh, shall we all be learned? Shall we all say it? Ex agarazzo. Oh, marvellous. You are very learned today. You sort of know German theologians, you know Greek words. It's marvellous. We'd better dash on. The time is a-going. Freedom is what we have. Christ has set us free. Stand then as free people and do not allow yourselves to become slaves again. Here's another theologian that often we all know about, C.S. Lewis. And he said, God cannot give us peace and happiness apart from himself because it is not there. Full stop. There is no such thing. If we want peace and happiness, it is definitely through Jesus. It's through our relationship with him. Him him dying for us, bringing us new life. And this is uh, one of the epistles saying exactly the same thing. God has given men eternal life, and this real life is to be found only in his son. It follows naturally that any man who has genuine contact with Christ has this life. And if he has not, then he does not possess his life at all. It's wonderful. We can possess this life through Jesus. It's a stark contrast. Friday, Jesus was dead. Sunday, he's alive. And it's this weekend that we can celebrate knowing that Jesus has died for us, has changed for us. Remember, the cross meant to kill is my victory. It was a surprise, perhaps, that Jesus rose from the dead. But it can affect our lives still. And it does. One more scripture. And this is the challenge. Because so far, perhaps today, we've just been thinking about, yeah, great, Jesus died for us, everything's wonderful, hunky-dory. This is what Jesus asks of us. Then Jesus, he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake you will save it. The cross is a symbol of shame. It's a symbol of death. Jesus invites us to take up that cross and follow him daily, to give our lives to him, to say to him, Lord, today, I take up my cross. I want to follow you. I want to begin again. I want to know that you are with us. And that's the challenge of today. We've heard a few surprises, maybe, of what might have happened on Easter if we were there. Perhaps we'd have been like Thomas, inquisitive Thomas, questioning Thomas. Maybe we might have been with the other disciples and we saw it. 
Or maybe we were with the disciples as they ran away, and we ran away from Jesus as well. But as Jesus came to them and showed himself to them, so they were changed. And so as we come to Jesus today and tomorrow and the next day, so he changes us and we can know his forgiveness from our sins as well. So we're going to pray. I'm sure the children are going to come in in 30 seconds or less and that'll be real good because that'll be timing to perfection. Lord, we are so grateful that you died for us. Thank you, Lord, that we can celebrate this today. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us. Thank you, Lord, that you've changed us. And Lord, we look forward to you changing us some more because you are the way, the truth, and the life. And we know no one can come to the Father except through you. Thank you, Lord, for your glory. And we praise you, Lord. Amen. Thanks, Colin. We're going to take the offering in the next song. And it's going to be a special offering because it's the normal last Sunday of the month where a little goes a long way. So there's going to be three baskets or maybe two baskets going around. Margaret, could you take one of them? That'd be brilliant. So a little goes a long way. That's going to be in the envelopes and that's going to be in the, well, you can put it in either of the things that come around. And Jean, could you take the other one around for us? That'd be okay, thank you.